If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of the prophet Isaiah. We are gathered here this morning to celebrate Christmas. We're going to consider uh, the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the coming Messiah. So if you will find your way actually to the last verse of chapter 8 in Isaiah, in my Bible, that's on page 638. I don't know what yours is, but that's mine. Uh, so if you'd find your way to, to the last verse of, of chapter 8, uh, we will concentrate our time looking at 822 through 97. Uh, but first, let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in this place that you would have your way in us as you do in heaven. As we open up your word this morning, we ask that you would illuminate our minds, that we might think correctly, that you would inflame our hearts, that we would display your love rightly. And Lord, we ask that you would transform our will, that we would obey you without hesitation, that we would obey your holy word this morning. And we ask mostly, Lord, that you would fill us with confident hope in Jesus Christ this Christmas season. And that would be our message as we sang in the song that we would go and tell it on the mountain and in the streets and in the valleys. So as you are able this morning, would you stand for the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word, beginning with... Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. You can be seated. The light from God has been casting its shadow in Jesus Christ in an ever-increasing measure since God first uttered the words, let there be light. I want you to cap capture this sentence. I'm going to say it again because it's important as we look at this passage. The light from God 
has been casting its shadow in Jesus Christ in an ever-increasing measure since God first uttered the words, let there be light. And see, a part of the nature and the makeup of a believer's life, that is, their constitution. The constitution of a believer's life is marked by confident hope in the assurance of faith, in what the future holds. And we hold this confidence because what God has spoken in His Word will most assuredly come to pass. In our passage this morning, Isaiah is writing to the believing remnant of Israel, the remnant of God's people. They are sustained by the forecast that a great light shines, and it shines beyond the darkness of the world that they live in. This hope is so sure that we will notice in this passage that Isaiah uses a Hebrew idiom in that he writes this about this forecast, about a thing to come. He writes it in the Hebrew idiom uh, of the day, which is to write it in past tense. The hope of future light, he's proclaiming, is already casting its shadow as God's people live in confidence of the prophetic word of God concerning the light that is to come. As he proclaims the light that is to come, that light has already begun to cast its shadow on a dark world. We will see that because Isaiah places the light of 9-1 in the immediate context of the darkness of 8-22. He follows it right from this darkness. There will be a thick darkness that these people live in. And he immediately proclaims that a light has shown. It has shown. It's going to shine. It has shown. It is shining. And in an ever-increasing measure, God's light in the person of Jesus Christ is casting a shadow on the dark world in which they live. So the way of Jewish society at this time in Israel has been to call the promise of God and his king a conspiracy. This is what has gone on in the previous section of Isaiah, that the society of Israel has said that the promise of the coming king is a conspiracy. They have come to fear man. They've come to fear earthly kings. They've come to fear earthly religious leaders instead of God. And Isaiah is warned by God to place his confidence in the promise of God, in the light of the future, that I will be your illumination in the here and now. God promises, I will be a sanctuary of light to those who walk in a world of darkness. Don't walk as they do. Don't participate as they do. He warns them, don't be like the people. The people have been making inquiry of dark forces. They've been uh, seeking mediums. They consult the dead on behalf of the living. The light of the word of God, it says, is not in them. This is the warning. They have embraced the darkness. And because they have embraced the darkness, they live in contempt to their God and to their king. So let us look closely at verse 22 of chapter 8. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. See, our proclamation this Christmas is that light has 
come. And that light came in the birth of a child some 2,000 years ago, bringing hope to a dark world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, John later says. In him was light. In him was life. And that life was the light of men, that which illuminated their way in a dark world. The light that came that first Christmas day, my friends, this is, I hope that we walk in this confidence this Christmas. The light that came that first Christmas day has been increasing in intensity ever since. And it is increasing in intensity in us right now. And that the darkness is being penetrated by the light. Darkness is being penetrated by the light of Jesus Christ. As you bring him with you, wherever it is that you go, you bring the light of Jesus Christ and proclaim the truth of God's gospel. You proclaim the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is at hand in us. And the light of Jesus Christ is increasing in measure, drowning out the darkness. One day... Darkness will not be just a mere shadow. But as this light increases on the day that he returns, darkness will be fully swallowed up in the light that is Jesus Christ. That is our hope and that is our future. That is what we embrace is that one day, this light that has begun to shine on this world that is exposing darkness, that one day, darkness will not just be a shadow that darkness will be enveloped with light and there will be no darkness, no shadow. It will be swallowed up in the victory that is in Jesus Christ at his return. I was thinking about this this week. Almost everyone in the whole world celebrates Christmas. Almost everyone in the United States celebrates Christmas. But here's a sobering thought. Most people who will celebrate Christmas this season will not be celebrating Christ. They will be celebrating Christmas in some way, but they will not be celebrating Christ. They will not be embracing the light of God that has come in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the world we live in, what do we do? We celebrate the shadow from the light. We celebrate the shadow, embracing the darkness that is what the world celebrates this Christmas. The world says that the Christmas message that we deliver is a fairy tale. Much like Israel of that day, right? This is a fairy tale. It is a fantasy. We hold the coming king as we proclaim him. They look at us and say, that's a conspiracy. It isn't true. It's false. It's a fairy tale. The world we live in celebrates the shadow. The world we live in celebrates and has fear of man. And we live according, they live according to the wisdom of men, such that evil is called good and good is called evil. And then prosperity has become the king of the world. Financial prosperity, materialism is the king of the world. And that's what they celebrate as Christmas. I'm celebrating Christmas. I'm celebrating materialism. I'm celebrating man's achievement. And there is no Christ in that kind of Christmas celebration. Prosperity is king such that there is a wholesale slaughter of the unborn and it is celebrated and encouraged. 
For the sake of financial gain, we are killing babies. That is an embracing of darkness. It is an embracing of evil. Because we want to be able to spend enough money on gifts for our kids later. We want to hand them down something in our family. So we're wholesaling as a, as a society the killing of babies because prosperity is our king. It isn't Jesus Christ is not king. At Christmas time, they're not celebrating Christ as king. But we, brothers and sisters, celebrate Christ as king. We celebrate Christ as king because a light has shone and because this light is continuing to shine brighter and brighter in our lives. You know, in the world, personal autonomy is regarded as the highest virtue, isn't it? The world denies God's design and creation of humanity, and thus they, they deny God, and they regard Christ as just a conspiracy, as just a story. And the truth of the matter is this, is that the light is not in them. And because the light is not in them, the world lives in contempt of God. Because it is clear in this passage that a light has shone. A light is shining from God. And the world still holds him in contempt. Well, let us look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9. And here comes great promise. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So Isaiah begins this passage communicating to the remnant of believing Israel that the world is darkened by sin and filled with distress, filled with darkness, filled with anguish. And Isaiah reminds God's people that God has forecasted a future light that begins in greatness and continues to intensify in illumination such that this light shines beyond the darkness of the world that you live in. Isaiah writes again in that Hebrew idiom, talking uh, about the, his, this future light as pest tense, that it is already burning because the people of God choose to place their hope and faith in the sure promise of God. The people of God are sustained in the dark world because they have a forward-looking hope. They've already seen the coming light through faith in their present circumstances. And they are sustained in the darkness by the hope of increasing light that comes from God in the person of Jesus. You see, darkness and distress are the reality of the world, isn't it? Darkness, distress, and anguish are the reality of the world that we Christians live in. But this is not the only reality, nor is it the fundamental reality for the born again. So you might be asking, what is the fundamental reality for the born again? The fundamental reality for the Christian is that in this present darkness, the Christian lives their life by faith in the future reality forecasted in the Word of God. You know, in the New Testament, the angels, they give an admonition to the disciples when Jesus is descending as they stand there. 
in Acts uh, chapter 1. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Why are you fretting and worrying? Why are you distressed and in anguish? Do you not know that God who took him up to heaven will send him in the same way he went? You're to walk in this future hope in light of the sure word of God. So I ask us this morning, Christians, are you going to embrace gloom and darkness? Are you going to succumb to distress and anguish of soul? Are you going to be paralyzed by the darkness? We look around the world, and I have had conversations with many of you, and I know that you guys are all very well aware that we are living in the end times, and darkness and evil seem to prevail. But at the same time, See, a Christian does not live in gloom and anguish and despair because they have been raised up to faith and hope in the future. Are you going to be paralyzed by the darkness? I think that the Christian church often is paralyzed by darkness. They're paralyzed by darkness such that they don't proclaim the light. They don't proclaim the light that is in Jesus. That in Jesus Christ, light penetrates the dark world. The darkness of our own hearts, our testimony to that fact, isn't it? Your testimony of Jesus Christ and what he's done is I was a heart hardened and darkened by sin. But the light of Jesus Christ has shone in me and is shining in me. That is our proclamation this Christmas. Are we going to be in expectant hope? And are we going to walk in the increasing light of God by faithfully observing and teaching all that Jesus has commanded for his disciples? You see, uh, Isaiah insists that the believer does not sink into deep despair at the troubling times that they live in. Rather, that the constitution of believers have part as part of their makeup, their, their constitution, the constitution of believers is that they have a sure hope that God who said, let there be light, understand that Christ is that light and that the light of Christ will come again in full force, drowning out the darkness once and for all. We are risen to faith and hope in Jesus in a very dark world. And we know that one day there will be no longer even a shadow of darkness. That darkness will be eliminated by the light of Jesus Christ. And this is the present reality for the believer. We're supposed to live in the present reality of this future light that is drowning it out because we've already seen a glimpse of this light casting its shadow on a dark world. We've already witnessed it. Listen to Psalm 23, the Psalm of David. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, if David walked in the valley of the shadow of death, stands to reason that David lived in the light of the coming Christ that was casting its shadow in a world of darkness. 
casting its shadow in a world of death. See, the people of God, we rejoice in God, that in darkness it is becoming light. We rejoice that in what was once being hidden is now being revealed to us by the light of Christ. As light comes into our life, gloom, anguish, distress, and despair become merely a shadow. Become merely a shadow. Light has shone, he says. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he echoes God's warning to Isaiah. God tells Isaiah, don't live as the world does. And I will be a sanctuary for you in a dark place. In a dark and gloomy world, Isaiah, I will be a sanctuary for you. So don't live as those who reject and have contempt for their God and their king. And then Paul writes this in Ephesians. He says, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul further explaining what it means to walk in the light. Paul says, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. See, the constitution of the believer walks in hope, embraces the everlasting, ever-increasing light of God that is in Christ Jesus, putting uh, off the darkness of the world and putting on that which belongs to the light. If you reject the forecast that Christ has come, the Christ who is now, and the increasing light in Christ to come, you sit here today, as you sit here today, if you're sitting there today and you reject the forecast of the coming Christ, of the Christ that has already come, and the Christ who is now, and the Christ who is coming in ever-increasing light to drown out the darkness, if you sit here today rejecting that, a complete and utter darkness, gloom and anguish of soul will become your eternal reality. That will become your eternal reality. You are blessed if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. You are blessed to be a, a recipient of a shadow of the light of God anyway. God is shining his light in the world and you are a, a, a recipient of that light even if you reject the light for now. But there will come a day when his light will fully shine and what you receive in yourself will be anguish of soul for eternity, utter darkness, 
and gloom forever. So today, if that's you, I proclaim the light of Jesus Christ. It is shining on you. Receive the light. Embrace the light. Walk in the light. And guess what you get as your reward? More light. And that God in this time, in this time of darkness, will become a sanctuary of light for you in a very dark world. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 9. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Isaiah says, for the remnant of believing Israel, you have now entered into a new situation. There's a new situation by an act of God. By God's act, you have believed and seen a glimpse of the coming light. Anguish, gloom, and despair have become a shadow. You have entered what Peter will later describe as a living hope. Further, Isaiah says, God will increase your joy. Not only does he shine light on us, saving our souls, exposing the darkness, giving us a new way to live. God has acted in transforming us from the people of darkness to people of light. Not only has he done this, but God will increase our joy because we get to enter into a victory that we ourselves did not win. That's what he's emphasizing here in this passage, that believers enter into a victory that you did not win. You will enter into the Lord's harvest. You will enjoy the fruits of his labor as though it were your own. When you yoke yourself to the promised one, he will bear the burden. He will suffer oppression. In him you will lean on. He will be your guide, the rod that you, the staff that you will lean on in the dark place. You will lean on the light. You will enter into a victory that you did not win. I praise God for that. That we enter into a victory that we did not win. Because we could not win it, right? Not in ourselves, but Christ has won it for us. You know, he is heaven's champion. When you read the story of David and Goliath, it's often told uh, this way, that you too can face your giants. That is not what the scripture is about. Scripture is, God will raise himself up a champion to fight for his people. That's a lesson we should get from David slaying Goliath, is that God will raise himself a champion. And God has raised himself a champion for us in Jesus Christ. Let us look at verse 5. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The light that has come in the person of Jesus Christ, he will fight for you. Judgment against your enemies will be his. The promised one is qualified to rule and reign as Lord and King in the here and now. The Christian looks at today's anguish and does not despair because hope is present now. The kingdom of God is coming in its fullness, but has begun in the believer's life through faith. Gloom and anguish are but a shadow for us in the light of the promise of Christ and the promise of Christ's return. We should look at the qualifications here for the king's rule that comes just by the mere fact of his birth. When we look at verse 6, For to us a child is born, 
To us, a son is given. The birth of the king is a promised gift to the people of God who live in a world of darkness. A light shining in a world that causes the believer to rise up out of gloom and anguish, to rise up out of distress and despair, and to rise up to faith and hope. He is the wonderful counselor to the faithful believer navigating the dark world that they live in. He is mighty God. He will be the never-failing, everlasting Father to His people. He will create a community of people who have peace in their hearts in troubled times because He will make peace with their God on their behalf. Again, entering into a victory that we did not win. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, Isaiah describes the king who will be uh, come and who will be the forever king of Israel in the line of David. And he says that he will bear fruit for uh, God and for his for God's people. He will be a forever king empowered in the perfect Holy Spirit. He will be a king who is a delight to the father. Those who believe in the king, who hope in the king uh, will also become a delight in the father through him. He will judge with righteousness of God and not the ways of man and not the ways of the world. He will decide what is equitable for the weak and the maligned of the world. The light from God has been casting its shadow in Jesus Christ in ever-increasing measure ever since God said, let there be light. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The government that was on his shoulders will increase, that he will bear the burden, that he will govern the whole world is coming under his rule right now. Do we believe that, brothers and sisters? Do we believe that Christ is ruling and reigning right now? When we look at all of the circumstances going on in the world, are we in gloom, despair, and anguish over what's going on? Or do we say, Christ is king? When we get in arguments with one another over political, ideological differences, is our default to say, yes, you support this side and, you, and I support this side? But for both sides, Christ is king. Christ is king. Do we proclaim that? That Christ is king. In ever-increasing measure, the light from Jesus Christ is shining in a dark world. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Christ is our king. Church, we are ambassadors for the king. We are ambassadors for God's kingdom. And right here in this little body, we are an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. An embassy filled with ambassadors for Christ underneath the king. His representation on earth, proclaiming the light of God in the world. Let us remember that the kingdom of God is here and it is now. And that as Isaiah promised, 700 years ahead of the king's birth, 700 years ahead of the king's birth. Think about this. Isaiah said, light has shown. Has. 
Because the people of God who believed were stirred up to faith and hope. They had faith and hope in the coming life. And they were sure of one thing. And I think I hope we are sure of one thing. This is the word of God. What God's word says will surely come to pass. We may look around the world and, and, and think, it's not happening. Not yet. Not in your way, maybe. But in God's way, it is coming to pass. And he, he says, 700 years ahead of this, the, the king's birth, that the light of the promise of God is coming, and it is now a present reality. That light is shining brighter and brighter until one day the dark gloom of the temporal life is going to be drowned out, unable to even cast a shadow, because there will be no darkness in it. And how and who and why? Listen to this. I want you to hear the motivation of our God. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Zeal is defined in our worldly definition as passionate motivation energetically applied to a cause. Passionate motivation energetic, energetically applied to a cause. Unto us a child is born. In the passionate love of God, he sent us light in the person of Jesus Christ to remove the gloom and anguish of our own darkened, sinful hearts. And he has raised us up to faith and hope in the light of Jesus Christ, and it is ever growing brighter and brighter. The passionate love of God motivated him to give us a son. He says, unto us a child is born. From heaven, I came down and was born of you, giving you light. I brought light into the world in my son. And then it says in the other part of verse 6, to us a son is given. A son is given. The passionate love of God motivated to give his son for the sins of his people. Think about that. Don't just think about this, this phrasing in this passage for, for to us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. There's much in that part of that verse. A son is given, sacrificed, laid down. The son who was given was given for you and for your sin. A son is given by God's passionate love and zeal for his people. The zeal of God will do this as it ends. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What can you trust in? If you can't trust in anything else, you can trust in that promise, can you not? That the passionate, energetic love of God motivated him to send his son to die for you. Oh, man, there's nothing else to do right now for any of you except this. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. That's all that's left. Turn from yourself, turn to light, turn from darkness and believe 
Because in the energetic love of God, he sent his son and gave him as a sacrifice for your sin. Will you repent and believe in Jesus Christ this Christmas season? Will you be one who celebrates Jesus Christ, the child born to you, the son given to you, and not merely the trappings of commercialism and the trappings of Christmas? And I ask us this Sunday morning to walk out of here with this this week. A commitment to celebrate Christ this Christmas. I want to celebrate Christ and his light. I want to celebrate the love of God that in his zeal, I have entered into a victory that I did not win myself. That God won for me by giving his son to die for me. Will you celebrate Christ this Christmas? Or will you be like the world and just celebrate Christmas and all of its trappings, which is really, I think, an embrace of darkness, an embrace of gloom, an embrace of anguish. There is no fruit in it. But will you and I make a commitment this Christmas to celebrate Christ, to celebrate the light?